This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday, November 11th. You're hearing this maybe late on the 11th or early on November 12th. Appreciate you guys, as we've talked about, uh, allowing us to have uh, less than rigid schedule. We're still coming to you once a week, but with the Manager of the Year awards being announced earlier this week, the Cy Young Awards announced just hours before we are recording this podcast, we just figured it made more sense to wait until we had those announcements. We were hoping, I think, to be celebrating one of those awards. Admittedly, I didn't think David Ross was going to win Manager of the Year, so I wasn't surprised at that one. Was very hopeful that you, Darvish, would win the Cy Young, but that is not what happened. So kind of like the entire 2020 season and really 2020 as a whole, we're hopping on here to talk about the Cubs losing some awards, I guess. Uh, and we'll take a look at where everything else is in this offseason. We've got some uh, qualifying offers being dished out or not dished out, uh, accepted guys returning to teams. So some action is is already starting, though nothing, nothing uh, I don't think, earth-shattering has happened yet. So we'll take a look at where we are in this offseason. But Brendan, I, I I will bring you in here, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'm assuming you're you're with me there. I, I don't think either of us were necessarily expecting Ross to win Manager of the Year. Nice for him to be a finalist, though. Uh, but uh, you know, sixty game season or not, a, a bummer that you Darvish doesn't win the Cy Young. Well, it also makes you wonder because we we've, we've been hearing now for for years how younger writers are getting in. There's a shift in evaluating players for these awards. Didn't see it. This one was pretty obvious. I mean, you had Darvish pitched more innings. He walked fewer batters. He had a FIP that was 2.2. Uh, Bowers was almost 3. It was 2.9. And he had half a win more, right? And sometimes teams trade for half a win or one win at the trade them to get them over the top. So, like, what like what are we looking at? Is it just ERA? Because if it's just ERA in the sample, you do question how valid and how much that reflects your performance, Right. It doesn't make much sense, and it still signals, you know what, baseball writers still have a ways to go here. Right, and I think, you know, the the weird thing, too, to figure out is, like, if we're just looking at one, you know, maybe not— 
progressive metric, I guess, is one way to say that. Um, you know, if they wanted to look at ERA for Bauer, like Darvish led the league in wins, right? Like I know we don't care about wins, but if we're just looking at one sort of standard statistic, like you can cherry pick them for really all three of them, honestly. Um, but it is what it is, uh, you know, trying to parse out why everyone voted this way. Some of them will write articles and uh, try to explain their stance and stuff like that. But ultimately, you know, they can kind of do whatever they want. So that's, that's really where that is. Um, I do think even in, even in the clutch, like section of metrics where you can evaluate win probability, you have Darvish who added 2.3 percentage points for WPA wins probability added. And you have Bauer at 1.5. And so even the clutch numbers, when the pressure was on, Darvish beat Bauer. The only thing that he did not beat Bauer at were total strikeouts and ERA. That that that's it. So I the more you look at this, the more you question like well, how did they miss this? This was like this was obvious. And they got to Grom right the past few years. That suggested they would get this right and they missed it. Yeah, and you know, there's also like you can make I think the argument for both of them that the teams they play for making the playoffs relied very heavily on their performance. Like Bauer had a good stretch toward the end of the season there that obviously propelled the Reds into getting back into these expanded playoffs. But I think by the same token, you're looking at the Cubs and, you know, obviously they performed better than the Reds. They they had a bigger margin in terms of what they made the playoffs by. But I don't even want to think about what this team looks like if Darvish wasn't dealing the way that he was. Uh, oh uh, especially during that, you know, kind of early start stretch where he didn't lose. It's like, I, I have yeah. no idea where this Cubs team would have been if Darvish wasn't out there just, you know, absolutely dealing every fifth day. And, you know, even from the sort of like being active and, you know, kind of like uh, that perspective, I, I know the media loves to fawn over Trevor Bauer for his uh, videos and social media and stuff like, so does you, Darvish. You know, like just because some of it is in Japanese, like so what? He's got a huge following. He makes tons of content, right? He's on different media platforms and stuff like that. Like so if you know, if you're if you're giving any edge to Bauer for, for something like that, that seems uh kind of unfair, I think at a minimum, to Darvish who also is doing a lot of those same things, just not uh, in such an abrasive manner, I don't think, as uh, Bowers. But again, you, you can parse out these ballots. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's – the process should be – I don't know how they should clean it up or like what it – like how you would make it different. But when you see things like uh, J.P. Hornstra, who's a writer from Los Angeles, and look, I haven't seen his explanation, but almost assuredly he's a Dodgers fan that is still salty about 2017, even though the Astros were cheating against you, Darvish. Uh, he didn't even have Darvish on the ballot. Like in the top five, he's got Aaron Nola in some of these clowns instead of you, Darvish. That shouldn't be a thing right? Like this, there has to be some sort of standard for the voting of this stuff where stuff like that, you just lose your ballot, right? Like, again, like I don't, like I know there's not really like an easy way to do this because I, I think like the only way to like truly remove stuff like that is to set 
a standard, right? Like, here's the stats we're looking at. We're going to rank them, and this is how you should be voting, which, you know, I, I don't think you can really do that. But some of these ballots are just like an absolute clown show. And it it just shows there's way too much, um, like, subjectivity going into these ballots, which just doesn't, you know, what's the point of any of this then? Like, I think with, with manager of the year, it's obviously a much more, like, you're, you're voting on a lot broader topics and stuff that you can't measure as much, right? Like, because they're the manager, it, it's harder to pin everything on them or to weight certain decisions and, and things like that. But for the players, we have all these metrics. We have all of this data. We have all of this stuff. When you have ballots like this this Hornster guy, I, I it's just like what's the point of caring about something like this? You well, know? I think a lot of a lot of writers they 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 value, I guess, the the effect of your performance on your team's chance of either you know winning a playoff series or getting to the playoffs or how you went about doing that. And and for Bauer, the only way I see him winning this Cy Young was because he pitched on short rest a few times and he did so leading the Reds back from below 500 towards the tail end of the stretch to making the playoffs. So I think some writers look at how the Reds ended their year and what Bauer did for them in that in that time span. In their opinion, which it's not to say he wasn't valuable, but in their opinion, that was more representative and valuable of a Cy Young compared to what you Darvish did on consistent rest. I I disagree with that completely. And who's to say that Darvish cannot do the same thing given the opportunity to pitch on short rest or if the Cubs were below 500 at some point either, right? But here's the thing though. The Cubs were not at 500 or below because you Darvish was your ace the entire year. He was consistent the entire year. And every metric besides ERA in a, a, a an 11 inning or 11 start sample was better for you Darvish Corey so in terms of evaluating stats and putting the standardization process to it I, I don't think that's the right answer right like I think there's a, a legitimate argument to be had versus looking at ERA or FIP or expected ERA or deserved ERA or whatever type of isolated pitching metric you have. I think there's merit to each one of them. They all capture something different. And there is no gold standard because it just doesn't exist, right? But there is common sense and there is overreaching when you make your vote based on something that is just maybe not as rational right. or, or logical. And I think that's what happened with Bauer. And I do think, too, his his time on social media, his airtime on ESPN or wherever, that that gives people more recognition. It gives writers more of an opportunity to at least consider Bauer and his success. I think there is something there to, to that as well. But, but to your point, Corey, Darvish has... Two and a half million Twitter followers. Okay. Bauer has under half a million. <laughs> so you have a five times greater following for, for you, Darvish, in an international market crossing over to a domestic market here in the US. And so the fact that people say, okay, well, Bauer's growing the game and making it more palatable for a lot of people. You, Darvish, is the king of Japan in baseball right now. Okay. I mean, this is what people aspire to be for uh, a young, 
player in Japan hoping to aspire to their dreams in the U.S., Darvish is representing that too. So that's not part of the discussion here. The discussion is this. Darvish was more valuable in terms of FIP, in terms of mitigating uh, BS with some of the isolated metrics, in terms of win probability added, in terms of, you want to say growing the game, look at Darvish, what he does for fans and international baseball in Japan. They missed it. And they, they flat out missed it. And I don't know what the solution is to clean it up, but this this is something that they missed and they'll have to evaluate going forward so they don't miss it again. Yeah, I I, I am not advocating for any particular process. I, I'm really just sort of focused on this one ballot that didn't have Darvish in the top five because I just think, like, I think that you can make the argument for Bauer, DeGrom, or Darvish to be the deserving winner, Right. And, you know, someone like it's Max Fried ended up week, missing though. a couple starts, but for a while he was in that conversation as well. I just think, like, when the award voting strays from, like, really clearly obvious choices, and there's there's really no other way, like, there has to be some level of bias there, right? Like, it, it just you know, it just devalues the whole process. And and I would be saying this regardless. Like if we were looking at ballots that didn't have Bauer or DeGrom in the top five, as much as I hate Trevor Bauer, I'd think the same thing. Like I'd look at it and go, this is a clown vote. Like you you, you can't just, you know, like leave somebody out if you're part of the voting block and you're part of the media that's supposed to be doing this as their job. Like you, you can't do stuff like that. So it's just, I don't know. It's just, stupid that some of these ballots and and this happens every year like guys are trying to prove a point or or something like that it's just it it's something that shouldn't happen that way um and I know he hasn't been in charge of it for long but it you know sort of makes sense that Paul Sullivan I think is in charge of the baseball writers association <laughs> it, it just yeah. is kind of fitting um but yeah I mean moral of the story is it's it's just disappointing I I just wanted this for you um, you know, we've talked a lot about the journey that he's gone through just in his, in his entire career, I think, but specifically how it ended in Los Angeles and how it started in Chicago and all the work that he's done. And, and he talked about this, I think, a, a week ago or a couple weeks ago when he was officially named a finalist for the Cy Young, just how much it meant to him. And I was at, you know, and this was through Google Translate. So uh, some of this is, you know, you I can't like quote uh, I can't quote these exactly, but I'm, I'm sure the translation gets close enough to the intention of the message. But I was reading uh, you the blog from um, you's wife, Psycho, uh, when that was announced, and she had written about sort of the the struggles that you has gone through uh, throughout his baseball career with the injuries and you know the the Dodgers World Series and stuff like that. And just how he's always felt those struggles, but has never brought them home and, you know, let that kind of like affect his personal life. But the dedication and the caring and the, and the drive for 
uh, aspiring to be better and and to accomplish things in the game of baseball is is always at his core and 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 so important to him and you was talking about some of that stuff as well in his tweets and and some of the other content that he put out so just wanted this for him uh i i think it'll it'll be better when he wins one in a 162 game season and hopefully that's uh coinciding with you know a, a better overall performance from the cubs as well and i think that'll be a lot more meaningful and and hopefully those games are in front of fans and and it can just be a a more complete experience but especially for all of us that watched him all year knowing how special he was this year and again how crucial he was to the Cubs success uh in in winning the division and, and getting back in the playoffs just disappointing uh and yeah I obviously I if he was going to lose, it would have made me feel a lot better if it was to Jacob deGrom. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know what, though? He's going to handle it, as he always does, with you know, A+. Yeah, class, the most right? class you can have. Yeah. yeah, of course. He's going to be a Cub for the next three years. Uh, I don't see him regressing uh, other than maybe age. But he made changes that are long-lasting within the last year and two years. So this is, this is who you Darvish is, right? Regardless of Cy Young or no Cy Young, it doesn't change that the Cubs have a bona fide ace and probably the best pitcher in the National League. That doesn't change anything. And the way he went about doing it, too, gives me confidence about this new type of pitching. I always use, I hate using the word now, honestly, infrastructure, but it does give me confidence about it because they had finally the people in place to let you Darvish do what he needs to do. And what did he do? He developed like three new pitches in one year and he flipped around his sequencing and his pitch usage to the way he believed would work best for him. And we saw that in 2018 when before he got injured, he was throwing fastballs half the time, literally over 50% of the time. And then in the last year and two years, when he was having his success, he flipped it. He stopped throwing his fastball and he started throwing his cutter and his slider or three sliders, whatever he has going over 50% of the time. It was a complete flip. And I don't think that would have happened if not for Tommy Hadaby being the pitching coach, if maybe not this year with Craig Breslow becoming the pitching director. So I think there's value going forward in the infrastructure that's represented by you Darvish's success and you Darvish is going to be the ace of this team going into next year and likely the best pitcher on any National League team that is huge Corey for this team yeah well and it'll be interesting to see if uh you comes back with somewhat of a vengeance you know he says okay I finished second in the Cy Young I need to add three more yeah, pitches add, to now my, he has 17 pitches <laughs> what are we at now is it 11 I think we have 12, I think 12? I think we have 12 the pitches. supreme was 11 wasn't it It was 11 before spring training but I think the supreme was a 12 who knows though <laughs> we're gonna have to get an accurate count on this it's tough to no, keep he track only throws of, three pitches Corey what are you talking about yeah, yeah right uh it's 11 or 12 I think, I think it's 12 um too. But perhaps, yeah, you know, now he's like, okay, well, if I came in second with 12, if I show up with 15, then here we go. And he's going to, you know, throw some absurd, I can't even imagine, but he manages to figure it out somehow. So, you know, that's, that is what it is. It's, it's a disappointing finish, but I, I think too, at the same time, it's, it's good that he was able to be a finalist for this. And, you know, while it's not the complete recognition that he'd like, 
uh, you know, finishing second in, in the Cy Young voting is not some small feat. And I, and I think, again, for the trajectory that his career was on at one moment uh, when he, you know, finished his time with the Dodgers and how his Cubs career started, uh, that's a huge accomplishment. And and I hope, you know, for someone who we know, and he's, you know, talked about this very publicly, for someone who's struggled with, with those past failures and, and struggles uh, personally, I, I, I genuinely hope that this gives you some happiness and, and maybe some peace of mind that all of the uh, tribulations and, and the hard work that he's put in to overcome them is paying off and is worth it and is being recognized. Uh, I can't really tell you how he feels, uh, but I, I do genuinely hope that for him because he deserves it. And hopefully this is just the beginning of, of stuff like this uh, in his his Cubs career. Also worth noting, Kyle Hendricks got a couple of yep. fifth place votes. Uh, not the first time that Kyle Hendricks has gotten uh, some votes in, in these awards. Um, and, it, you know, I, I only bring that up because I think Kyle's probably, I, I, I don't like pay that close of attention to every single other team, but he's got to be a, a top contender for the most underrated player in the entire league, right? I, I, I would think that seems like a fair statement. Uh, so anytime he gets recognition like that and writers from across the country recognize that and, and find it worth uh, giving those votes to, uh, I think that's cool. Um, you know, again, Hendricks, another one who carried a huge burden along with you in this rotation and, and for this Cubs team and uh, without both of them to, to varying degrees. Like, I, again, shudder to think what this team would have looked like, uh, especially with this offense down the stretch, if those two weren't going out and making it feel possible that they could win <laughs> every game one to nothing or two to one, right? So it is what it is. Uh, but anyway, Congrats to you, Darvish. It was a great season, and uh, he deserved the recognition that he got. In our humble opinion, should have won the award, but uh, there's always next year. Yeah, so um, anyway, on to Manager of the Year. Just want to touch on this a little bit because it's, you know, it's a major award and uh, something that a Cub was involved in. So David Roche finishes third uh, behind Jace Tingler of the Padres, who was in second place, and Don Mattingly of the Marlins, who is in first place. I didn't really have, I I think, look, like there's a certain level of irony, I think, to this whole season being played differently because of the coronavirus and all the precautions and everything that everybody took. Um, I, there, there's a certain level of irony in giving this award to the manager of a team that had one of the biggest outbreaks and also played a game after knowing they had it and like voted <laughs> to play anyway. Um, it, you know, is that Mattingly's choice? I, I have no idea, right? Like, I don't know. It's just a we- it, it's a weird choice, right? But at the same time, even in an expanded playoffs like Mattingly managed a team that has no payroll that had to play with you know basically replacement players because of the virus stuff and you know they ended up making the playoffs and they did a lot better than other teams even in their own division that have a much higher payroll than them that are much further along in a developmental sense than them so again I think it's a weird sort of thing like just given the coronavirus stuff but in terms of like 
a manager doing something, you know, and leading a team to a place that they shouldn't have been, right? And they don't count the fact that they won the playoff series, but they did win the playoff series. Like, I, I think it's a fine choice, you know? Like, clearly, he he got a group together that many people did not think belonged in the playoffs and, and could finish a season like that, and they performed better than a lot of teams that had higher expectations, higher payrolls, and, uh, you know, just better rosters and all that other stuff. So I, I don't really have much of an issue outside of this sort of, like, you know, like tinge of irony to it or whatever. Um, and the reason I didn't really expect Ross to win was was all that, you know, for Mattingly taking a Marlins team to the playoffs um, and battling through all of that, whether it was their own fault or not. Uh, but a lot of what you could say about David Ross is also true of Jace Tingler. So that's why I kind of assumed even if it even if you were going to look at some of that stuff, I wasn't sure how the voters would land on Ross instead of Tingler, right? They're both first-year managers. They both got teams to the playoffs. They both had, you know, somewhat raised expectations and good rosters. But at the end of the day, right, like the Padres have a smaller payroll. They're not as experienced of a team. You know, they're not a team that's returning a group that's been to the playoffs several times and stuff like that. So for all the credit that David Ross deserves for his success as a first-year manager, just in the case of this voting, Tingler sort of checks a lot of those exact same boxes. So when this came out that he was in third, uh, I wasn't really surprised um, or as disappointed I get. You know, like with Darvish, it was like, I, I really believe he should have won. I don't necessarily believe that Ross should have won. I think that, you know, both of these other guys were okay choices um, and certainly had a lot on their resume going for going for them. I, I, I do think that it's, again, though, worth celebrating and, and you know, whether this is a 60-game season uh, and all of this is just a complete farce or not, right? Like the Cubs decided to move on from Joe Madden. It was a much debated and discussed decision. The process of, of interviewing other guys looked to be going in various directions at times, and a lot of people had different preferences. And I think for the Cubs to have hired David Ross, for him to have come in and, you know, obviously, I, th- I think, you know, on day one, and most people didn't even have a concern about this in the first place, but to, you know, sort of squash those concerns about what it was going to be like for him to manage guys that he had played so closely with, that he had won a World Series with, that he had, you know, spent a lot of their career with, guys like John Lester, for him to do that, for this team to get into the playoffs, for David Ross to preside over the only team in Major League Baseball that did not have a player test positive for the coronavirus throughout this entire season, I think is something that, you know, as an organization, the, the Cubs should be proud of and David Ross should be proud of. As, and as fans, you know, we all focus on that decision and, and to, to move on from Joe and to bring in David Ross and, and that whole thing. And I think to be sitting here a year later from when you and I were heavily debating which direction the Cubs should go and all that, you know, he finished third in the manager of the year voting. And, you know, I, I just got through talking about how silly this <laughs> voting process is. So I, I I understand that I'm kind of all over the place here. But, you know, this is how it, it came out. This is how a lot of these media members across the country saw this. And I think that that's uh, you know it's a it's a positive right. It's better than the alternative right. It's it's better than it being a 
uh, a clear failure or something that everybody's looking at going like, what on earth is this Cubs team doing with this decision? I, I Brendan, I can't think of any parallels to that uh, currently happening. Certainly not in the city no, of Chicago, Chicago where everybody's no, no. looking at a baseball team going, what the hell is this team not doing the with their managerial decision? So I'm just saying that it's better to be in the place where your manager finishes third in the manager of the year voting rather than, I don't know, just speaking hypothetically, Brendan here, uh, talking about crimes that they might have committed right. within the last hypothetically, eight months. I, just completely yeah. hypothetically, I'm just yeah. saying if you could choose the latter or the former, like one of those I think is clearly a better place yeah. to be. That's No, all. I, I agree with you. And I think really where the decision for Madden to not be brought back or extended was in part due to what we saw from base running to defense in 2019, right? Like that was that was obvious. You went from a team in 2016 who historically may have been the best defensive team ever, right? To in 2019 being in the middle of the pack by many defensive metrics, coupled with their inability to run the bases above average. So in 2019, the Cubs cost themselves almost three runs on the base paths. But in 2020, the Cubs gained themselves five runs on the base paths and they were second in the national league behind the Padres in defensive runs saved according to fan graphs so they went from a below average base running team to a average defensive team statistically to one of the better defensive teams and base running teams in the league just just in one year with the one new manager and most of the personnel exactly the same for the most part so that that is emblematic to what Ross did. And he did this in a highly unusual environment with COVID without an orthodox spring training with a completely weird ramp-up period in July. And he accomplished really what he probably hoped to accomplish in a normal year and what the front office hoped he would have accomplished in a normal year. And he did it under these circumstances. So yeah, there, there's a lot to be excited about for David Ross here. And I know there's there's issues and decisions he made that you and I still to this day don't don't like, right? And it's part of the learning process for 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 Ross. And also we don't know how much a COVID season influenced some of these decisions which appear to be a little weird like the lineup stuff or like sticking with Kimbrel for the first, you know, 3 4 outings or so. So th- those types of issues people will look at and criticize Ross, and I think they're, the criticism can can be fair when discussed in an appropriate context. But ultimately, what he was brought in to do was to maximize the complete value of his team, and he did that by, one, improving your base running, and two, having a defensive team that just won the National League Gold Glove Team Award. I mean, that's pretty dramatic in a one-year turnaround from a rookie, young, new manager in David Ross. You have to feel good about that, and he deserves every bit of recognition he's getting for it. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people 
fast. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Try Indeed out with, again, a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Terms and conditions apply offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's blue wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, I know. I don't know if you and I did like a you know full retrospective on Ross's first year. So I guess this is kind of serving as at least part of that. But yeah, I, I think you know looking back, like there's always going to be stuff to nitpick, and I mean you can even look in the World Series. I mean both managers. Roberts and Cash. Cash won the AL Manager of the Year award, which, you know, they can't consider the World Series, but was pretty funny <laughs> just given how that played out. But, you know, even the two guys that ended up in the World Series, you know, the, the entire series basically was just their own fan bases complaining about the moves they were making, both Roberts and Cash alike. So there's always going to be stuff to nitpick. There's always going to be philosophical differences that you have. Uh, but I, I think Ross's first season is, I think, pretty clearly uh, an unquestioned success. And I think that given who he is and the, and the player he was and, and all that we've heard from him, I think that you can expect him to to look inward and to study some of the stuff that went on in this season and try to get better in certain areas, try to understand different parts of the game and, and different decisions that, you know, maybe he'd like back or uh, the context of them and things like that. And then I think that, you know, he's one of those guys who this is hard to weigh exactly, but I think you can expect him to get better, at least strive to get better and to put himself in the best position to continue growing as a manager and continue to get better as a manager. Uh, but that is basically the state of awards season. So it didn't go that well. Um, but such is life. I, I don't think many of us would have found much solace in the 2020 season, uh, just because one of these awards had been won. So it is what it is. Uh, again, Darvish finishing second in the Cy Young voting and David Ross finishing third in the NL manager of the year voting. So getting a lay of the land here, there's been a little bit of action in terms of just 
Major League Baseball's movement and and things like that. I, I think the big news, I suppose, is some of what's going on with the Mets, and and they're going to be an interesting team to watch, uh, just from a baseball fan perspective. But also, you know, they are, uh, as we all know, a participant in the National League, so something to keep an eye on, as as uh, you know, we kind of have to. But their ownership change seems to present them as a potentially dangerous foe, right? Uh, the Cubs and Mets are not in the same division, so ultimately that. That's uh, mostly a problem for the playoffs if it gets there. But Steve Cohn has come in and, uh, you know, basically thrown down the gauntlet of I'm going to spend a lot of money and I want to win a World Series here in New York in the first couple of years or I'm going to view this as a disappointment. And they kind of get the ball rolling, at least for themselves, with Marcus Stroman accepting the qualifying offer from them. Um, You know, Stroman didn't pitch in 2020, uh, but he was certainly poised to be one of the bigger options out there, I think, after Trevor Bauer uh, and May to have a lot of teams presented a cheaper and more manageable alternative to we don't really know what Bauer is going to be looking at because he's always talked about those one-year deals. But Stroman would have been, you know, maybe that next guy uh, that teams would have looked at. But he takes a qualifying offer, going to go prove himself back with the Mets and, you know, then try to hit free agency again. Uh, So that's, you know, one name off of the list here. And, you know, again, without really knowing what type of process Bauer's going to engage in? Is he going to consider long-term deals? Is he only going to stick to one-year deals? You know, you know, you don't know. But this is a, at least a fairly significant player that is off the market and, you know, has kind of kick-started things, if you will, for this offseason. Um, and I don't believe that there has been any other, like, major news as far as free agency or trades or you know anything like that but that's an interesting way to start the offseason and it also positions the Mets potentially if they are intent on spending a lot of this money to you know now be in a little more of a comfortable position to continue adding right because Stroman just comes back he accepts the qualifying offer it's it's you know not a big thing there so that's kind of where the market is and as you would expect the discussion around the Cubs is as all over the place as you can possibly get it right we we still don't have an exact idea of what the payroll stuff is going to be we are still waiting for some of those big decisions, you know, someone like tendering a contract to Kyle Schwarber, what they're going to do as far as Chris Bryant is concerned in terms of tendering him a contract. Are they going to look to trade him? Are they going to look to extend anybody? We're still asking all of those questions. Uh, So we kind of sit and wait for that. You kind of see a lot of rumors out there uh, as far as teams looking at some of the guys in the Cubs and, you know, maybe engaging them in trade talks and things like that. But as far as actual concrete movement, we've got about nothing in that regard. Uh, But we are kind of slowly but surely getting to the point where the Cubs are going to have to tip their hand one way or another because they're going to have to make some of these decisions uh, as it relates to tendering guys these contracts, heading into arbitration, and and all of these things. So it's quiet for the moment, Brendan, but it's it's got to heat up at some point, and, and sooner rather than later, 
we're going to have an idea of, you know, kind of if this is leaning more in the, oh, man, this is going to be a disaster, like this is going to be a a gutting, or, you know, this is kind of going to be like years past where there's only, you know, maybe some things on the margins, but largely it looks about the same. But at least for now, we're still kind of in that holding pattern. It was just announced a few hours ago, but Kevin Gossman did accept the Giants qualifying offer. So you have Strowman, you have Gossman off the market. They accept their $18.9 million qualifying offer. So the guys who did not accept it, you have Bauer, as you said, DJ LeMayhew, JT Riomuto, and George Springer all rejecting those offers. I'm surprised, really. I'm surprised that JT Riomuto rejected the offer. Even DJ LeMahieu, despite his success, I'm still surprised he did that given what we were hearing because of all the financial concerns. You had people, high-level executives suggesting that the, the league was in $3 billion of debt, and you're just hearing all of these horror stories wondering what will free agency even look like. So with that in mind, going into this week, I'm thinking, you know, maybe everyone will accept their offer besides Trevor Bauer because the uncertainty is too much. But the reality is most of them rejected those offers. So I don't know if that speaks volume to what we can expect, but I expected worse. And it's all going to be relative to each specific team, right? We don't even know where the Cubs are going to be for their financial situation. But given that the majority of these guys declined their qualifying offer, it kind of signals that it may not be as dire as as we think. Or if it is as dire as we think, then maybe these guys just want to accept, you know, more years, but less guaranteed money per year, but more money overall. Maybe that's what they're thinking here because they have the uncertainty. Who knows, right? We won't know until really all free agents are on the board and you start hearing those rumors, which which may take some some time here. But it's it's going to be chaotic, Corey, regardless, right? I don't even know if we should be reading too much into these six guys getting qualifying offers and rejecting it or accepting it. I don't, I don't know what to think of it because this is such uncharted territory. And we've heard even from the Cubs' perspective that they're projecting still $120 million deficit for 2021. So there's they're projecting to lose more money. Now, does new information about COVID change that in the next month or two or three months? I, I, I don't know, but... I still imagine that going into this free agency period, it's going to be mostly trade talk and minor, not minor, but relatively mild free agent signings. And that's kind of my expectations at this point. But still, I don't know. I don't think anyone truly knows. The tricky thing for the Cubs is is clearly a couple of areas. The the primary one is the money situation because that obviously sort of dictates anything you're able to do. But as we've discussed, I think number two is just the uncertainty of what this trade market looks like. Um, you know, it, it, it's just hard to imagine that the value you would be getting for some of these guys, even if you were looking to be really aggressive and shake things up and find creative ways to move money around, it, it just doesn't feel like the time to be doing that. Um, especially with where some of these guys are coming off of. And I know we talked about this last time a little bit, but I, I think the Chris Bryant thing is the most emblematic of this, where even last year when we were hearing those rumors, you know, Chris had, had come off a, a, another season, not exactly like 2020, but where, you know, he had a, a stretch where the performance was dinged by 
injuries that were documented and things like that. And, you know, a lot of us were looking at those trade offers like, eh, you know, man, like this is where we're at, that we're considering trading this guy for this return. And it's going to be worse now. So that just also kind of complicates that. And then you're also putting it on top of the uncertainty with 2021. So you're combining the kind of confusing player performance for some of these guys that we saw in 2020 with also, even if you were going to trade them, like even if you looked at some of the teams that that were interested in Bryant last offseason— like I think the Braves were one that like really comes to mind. Like even if you were looking at that same discussion now, you'd have to ask like, so do the Braves, what do they think about his 2020? And also, are they going to be comfortable paying him, you know, 20 million or whatever it ends up being when they have no idea what 2021 is going to look at like, right? So it's, it's just a very like uneasy time to kind of like try to project these things. So I think that, you know, at times some of us have maybe been, if the Cubs were going to try to aggressively pursue change or shake things up or do something other than running it back, right? I think some of us have tried to entertain or maybe even feign excitement over the the possibility that, you know, maybe Theo could get creative and, and figure out a way to shake things up in a meaningful way that would position the Cubs really, you know, in an okay spot for 2021 and, and you know, really good maybe for, for beyond that. But just looking at this landscape and, and trying to figure that out, um, it feels really difficult to envision like just how much confidence you should have in them being able to pull that off. There's just so much uncertainty, not only limited to the player performance itself, but just in the entire environment. And so, yeah, I I think I'm kind of with you. Like, I I just am not expecting much at this point. Um, Or unfortunately, like if there is much, I expect to be disappointed by it because it, it just seems weird to envision. Like, you know, even if they were intent on moving Bryant for the money, which we've, you know, talked, we've been talking about, you know, where we stand on that just from a philosophical perspective for over a year now but it's just tough to be confident right now that they would be getting good value on that and and something that was really truly positioning them better for it right and so that's kind of where I am I'm I'm mostly scared about this offseason just because of all that uncertainty and again like I I just it just feels like if they even try to be aggressive I just don't feel very confident that we're going to be happy with what that looks like but we don't Um, know we don't know though no right of course we don't know yeah Yeah. and again like we're really waiting for some of these moves because it'll at least in some way or another tip their hand a little bit as a you know as to like how dire is the money situation how much is that impacting things like how much is it handcuffing Theo and, and his ability to try and improve this team or position it better for the future. So I, I think we'll have a better idea soon, but at least for now, it's it's a pretty uneasy spot to be in. Yeah, and I, I look at the other potential outcome of the offseason and what the Cubs do have for trade targets. And Schwarber, for example, he was due $5.8 million in arbitration last year. Maybe this year is around 7 or 8. We'll see what happens. But 
this is a weird territory for every other team, right? So you, so some teams may look at Schwarber and see, okay, he's getting paid $8 million. He was one of the better hitting left fielders in the league for a significant portion of the time. We don't have to give up that many prospects. Maybe maybe, the, maybe there is a fit is where I'm getting at. And for, for KB, he's going to make $20 million, man. Like I still... I don't I don't see a trade happening with KB. I'm sure they'll explore it, but I just don't see any team willing to give up prospects and accept 20 million for one year without the guarantee that he'll be extended beyond that one year. I just don't see that happening. But I do see scenarios for Schwarber. I still see scenarios. I love them, but for Wilson Contreras, if the Cubs can match it somehow. And I also think that bodes well that JT Real Muto is now a free agent because it will kind of gauge what the market is for catchers. So at least as a fan looking in, we will be able to figure out truly what type of of value a catcher in that tier is considered by other teams. So we'll see what happens with, with Contreras. I don't think he'll be traded or even entertained, to be honest with you. But I think there is a small possibility that there, that, that could be entertained. But the, the reality is, like, we, we, we don't know. We, we do not know what the bar, the new bar is for free agents. We don't know if teams will be paying instead of eight and a half, nine million for a win this year, if it's like five to six million for a win this year. And then what that has, uh, what effect that has on the trade market. And then all of a sudden, maybe guys in our system, prospects, current guys on the team, because of this new bar, maybe we're just missing something that we don't see right now. So I'm, I'm kind of going into this next few weeks with just more of like an agnostic attitude. Uh, I, I I say I would lean more so, not much happening, but my confidence in that is so low. I just I just don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if we go into twenty twenty one, surprisingly and almost ironically, that this is the year to do it with a, a new cast, uh, a dramatically new cast. Just maybe there's opportunities there that have not presented itself and will only present itself as the offseason continues. feel almost compelled to apologize for the lack of like clear direction for There's this. There's nothing to apologize I, for. No one, no one knows. Well, dude. just in the sense of like, I'm sure nobody wants to keep hearing like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Like, who knows? But that's what we got. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot easier for, I think, I would assume Mets podcasters right now to be like, well, the new owner said we're going to win the World Series in three years and he's going to back a truckload of money up to this team. So let's well, operate that way yeah. with with the Cubs. It's uh, a little trickier at the moment. But what I can assure you, because this is what happens every year, is that whether you know if spring training is normal or whenever it is Brendan and I will tell you that the Cubs are going to win 100 games and win the division and then the World Series because that's just Nate that's how nature works you guys so uh we'll be concerned about it now we'll be unsure about it now but you know come February or March we will be certain that the Cubs are are going to be uh, at the top of the NL Central again and the National League. So last note I have for you is just to circle back on something that we've uh, talked about, I think on the last episode or two episodes ago, and just a slight update uh, that Jason McLeod is indeed a finalist, I believe one of five finalists uh, for the Angels um, Open. Is it GM or president? Regardless, it's yeah, it's the top job they're replacing Billy Epler. I, I can never remember how many teams operate, you know, with a Theo Epstein type or not. But um, 
it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, and I think a few of the candidates, I think at least three, have some connection to like Theo Epstein or the, or the that general tree, which kind of lines up with you know Joe Madden being the manager and uh, just obviously the reverence that the, the game of baseball has for Theo Epstein and and his connection to things. Um, as we talked about, it's it's something to keep an eye on just because Jason McLeod has obviously played a very large role in this organization. Uh, he certainly stands as someone who could potentially see a different role uh, if Theo were to leave or, you know, if and when that kind of structural change happens. And also from the perspective of if he does leave, you know, sometimes that leads to them bringing people from the current front office that they're in to be a part of their staff. So it is important um, to keep an eye on because he's a top player in in the Cubs organization and he's been moved around to a different role and uh you know we talked about I think it was last episode um you know Dan Kantrovitz and and his taking over of the the kind of amateur side of things and and being in control of a lot of that and him declining this job uh perhaps a a you know hand tip that he may have eyes on something big within the Cubs organization as well when uh, Theo does ultimately decide his his time is up. Uh, but it's all just to say he's a, you know, Jason is a, a top-level executive in this Cubs organization. He's played a large role in shaping where this organization is, and it's something to keep an eye on if he's going to be leaving and, and taking a job somewhere else. As I said when we discussed this the last time, I personally, and this is, trust me, in no way to diminish the contributions that Jason has had to this organization because his fingerprints are all over this organization. They are all over that World Series trophy and don't dare twist my words uh, to suggest otherwise. But as I said the last time, I'm rooting for him to get this job because hey, he deserves it, right? He sh- if, if that's what he wants and he wants to be the big guy in the big chair and be in charge, then all the power to him on a personal level. I also would view it as saving the Cubs from something I worry that they're going to do, which, as I said, is putting Jed and Jason in charge as the top two guys. Maybe that's not something they've ever considered, and I'm just making that up, but it would prevent them from doing it. So uh, all the power to Jason— you know, go win an AL West title and do whatever you want in the American League. Um, I just, that's how I feel about it. I, I just don't want them to do that, and this would remove that possibility. So uh, that's how I feel about that, Brendan. The way that the minor league system has failed to progress in the last forever, I, I guess, outside of those first-round draft picks, um, it's not to say that McLeod is completely at fault for that, but the buck did stop there to some degree, and Theo and Jed put him in a different position last year to give someone else a chance to to right uh, the wrong, I, I, I guess. it's not. And to your point, it's not to say that McLeod was worthless or is worthless because he and Jed and Theo, they were you know a trifecta. It's not to say that just because McLeod was the director of scouting means that he was completely uh, uh, taken away from other assets of, of the game. That's just not what probably happened. So if he's gone to Los Angeles, fine. I'm, I'm cool with it. I, I still want some fresh 
faces and, and new insights and perspective in this organization, regardless if Jason does stay on past Theo's tenure, that that that's where I'm at. So if he ends up not getting this job in, with with the Angels, so be it. You know, I'm sure he has use with the Cubs still. And I'm sure there might be use for him beyond 2021, just in a different type of role for the Cubs. Just something to keep an eye on, and especially as you know, we've yet to see some some movement on the player front. That's perhaps the most significant uh, Cubs-related news, I guess, at the moment. Just that you know he's in that mix, and uh, the Cubs may have some uh, structural change coming their way, even if it's. Uh, just one person or, you know, whatever, but something to keep an eye on. So other than that, I think that is what we have for you. I would expect next week that, you know, we'll be back kind of on that early in the week schedule. Again, we just figured they were going to announce these two awards. And especially in the case that they won one or two of these awards, we obviously didn't want to miss being able to talk about that and celebrate that. Um, So this Wednesday, Thursday thing is is not necessarily the normal going forward. As always, we'll jump on here once the action does pick up in, in free agency and in the trade market and, and just with the Cubs in general. Uh, you know, we're, we're always happy to jump on here more. Uh, and just to reiterate again, you know, the reason we sort of sometimes go back to one a week during the offseason is there's just not that much to talk about. And we, as always, you know, we we appreciate you guys downloading this show and listening to this show and uh, giving us, you know, however much of your time that you give us. And we don't like to ask you to do that, uh, to just ramble on about stuff that we've already talked about or nothing, which is really, you know, kind of what's going on with the Cubs uh, right now. And, you know, as much as we enjoy doing it, there's only so many times we can just sit around and talk about 2016 for an hour, which we end up doing a lot anyway. So uh, it's all just to say the schedule is flexible. And if the Cubs give us stuff to talk about, we are happy to do it as much as we need to. Uh, so that is where things are. Again, you know, we're we're sort of approaching some of these deadlines and, and the, the, the time period in which the Cubs are going to have to make some key decisions uh, and give us a better idea of exactly what to expect in this offseason and, and heading into 2021. And, you know, of course, always keep paying attention to just the the fluid nature of where we are in society right now because it it does ultimately affect the 2021 outlook for the baseball season as a whole and 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 certainly for the cubs um you know so so everything going on is is sort of worth keeping an eye on as it may move things one direction or the other so it's it's a fluid off season and i know it's it's got to be uh, at least it is for us i assume it is for you it's it's uh, not so fun you know these last few off seasons have felt very similar in a way um they they didn't exactly all play out the same but i think at least for the last couple there's been that kind of lingering sense of almost dread maybe just because of how possible it seems that we may have to say farewell to some of our favorite players and and guys that have just been such huge parts of this era of cubs baseball and we have done that with with some guys and you know that expectation has not come to fruition with other guys but it's uh 
you know, it, it's not exactly how we want these off seasons to be going. But as we always say, we'll we'll get through them together. We'll have a discourse about them. And as I said a few moments ago, one way or another, the Cubs are winning a hundred games once we get to spring training. That that confidence will be there. Uh, I think no matter what. Uh, Although in some of the scenarios that people have presented, that confidence wouldn't be there. But hopefully that <laughs> that isn't what happens, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, I think that's all we have for you. We will talk to you guys soon. We appreciate you guys supporting and listening to the Cubs-related podcast. And as always, uh, even when there is not that much to talk about, we always end by saying, Go Cubs! Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.